Hey everyone, before we get started I have a small announcement to make. This is the final episode of the Rebellion Brewing Podcast. When I pitched the idea of this show five years ago, the goal was to introduce the audience to new beers and tell the story about brewers and craft beer in Saskatchewan. The goal was to connect the craft beer community together and share my excitement about beer with you. 234 episodes later, I'm proud to say I only missed one deadline in five years when I had laryngitis. I believe we crafted a high-quality show that was easy to listen to. I want to personally thank my friends at the CBC, including Sam McKegg and Taryn Cochran, who helped foster a local Saskatchewan podcast community. Their training and networking events were invaluable. This show would be lesser without their wise counsel and advice. I also want to thank my alma mater, the University of Regina Journalism School, including Leighton Burton, Robin Lawless, Patricia Elliott, Sheila Coles, Karen Breer, and more. I will always hold a space in my heart for journalists and the great work they do. Through this podcast, I have strived in my own small way to make them proud by producing a high-quality, professional, ethical, an entertaining show. And lastly, I want to thank you, the Rebels, those who tuned in each week to listen to my bullshit. You're the best. Thanks. Hey, Rebels. My name is Matthew Barton. Welcome to the Rebellion Brewing Podcast. Fall is my favorite time in beer. Whether it's a Thanksgiving meal or a tour at the hop farm, there's something special that happens at the end of summer. Rebellion just launched three new seasonal beers, and Mark Heisey is here with me today to taste and talk about all of them. So let's get into it. Mark, welcome to the show. Happy as always to be here. How's it going, man? It's going great. Yeah. I kept thinking about this episode and trying to figure out what it is that makes fall so special, so important to me. And I could rant and rave about going to the hop farm and the fresh hops that hop into the beers. But then I was like, no, I want to hear what Mark likes best about his year in beer. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's definitely something to that about, uh, being from Saskatchewan and relating to harvest time. Uh, it's always a special time of year leading up to Thanksgiving, uh, you know, the changing of the the leaves, you know, all that kind of stuff, just a bit of a reflection point. Um, you know, summer is, is, is amazing for beer. It's amazing for beer sales, but you know, I, I, I love the idea of drinking seasonally. And so in summer, you're usually drinking those lighter, crisper beers. And as much as I love those, um, it's kind of nice to just switch gears and move on to something else. And so, uh, it's always, it's always a special treat to start to think about that. Uh, I think it's no coincidence that Oktoberfest, you know, which is a not, I wouldn't even say arguably it is the biggest beer festival in the world, uh, happens in fall. And, uh, so there's just lots to celebrate and get excited about. And there's, there's beers that just kind of just fit with that theme of the, the, again, the leaves turning colors, uh, the beer starts to turn colors and just interesting flavors. So, uh, it's definitely still beer season, I guess is my point. (laughs) I, 
I always agonize about why aren't there more dark beers? Why can't we have darker beers? I understand that in summer people want lighter stuff, but I, I think because of rebellion, because of learning all that I have, that's what I crave and that's what I, I'm drawn to. Yeah, there's amazing flavors in dark beer, and you know when, when I would say the microbrewery, uh, 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 early days of the '80s and '90s, uh, dark beer was very, very popular um, because it was basically a backlash to fizzy yellow bland corporate beer, and uh, and it was huge. That's what people expected craft beer to be and look like. Um, but you know, probably over the last five to ten years, that's really shifted. And uh, people are appreciating that not that uh, you can make delicious craft beer that that isn't dark, and uh, for whatever reason, people are really really um, uh, people taste with their eyes as much as that's biologically impossible. Uh, psychologically, it is possible, and um, for whatever reason, you know, even you know, you and I are coffee drinkers. Um, people freak out if, when we tell people we drink really good quality strong coffee, and we don't actually put cream or sugar in it that's like a bizarre thought to a lot of people so I think maybe some of this is rooted in that and you know again uh you know people of, of our age with uh the, the idea of Guinness you know and you couldn't even back when we were younger you couldn't even find Guinness but it was just like oh motor oil oh I mean that doesn't sound appealing uh you know we're saying oh well, a spoon will stand up in there it's so thick you know, again, the reality is it's one of the lightest, wateriest, most insipid beers in the world. Um, it's the Coors Light of Stouts. That's my favorite saying about that beer. Uh, it sucks. But, <laughs> but there's just, again, people don't actually taste it. They just hear this lore and uh, instantly you're like, no, I don't want that. Um, so that's a really long-winded way of... Um, you know, and so, I mean, we ultimately have to sell beer. Um, that's what we do as a commercial business. So we have to, uh, you know, we, we want to uh, please our audience. But I think there's definitely room for us to try to, you know, keep pushing that envelope. And while we used to have a year-round stout and we've cut it back, um, I've certainly been re-energized, even more so in the last few weeks, um, just taking some time to reread some old uh, some old books that I've got and some beer industry books. And it's like, I'd like to try to uh, introduce some folks to some more of those types of beers and some more of those historic styles and all that sort of stuff. So uh, that doesn't mean we're going to be revamping our entire core lineup, but um, it's definitely got me thinking about it. And, uh, and I definitely am uh, looking forward to some of our, definitely some of our fall beers. One of the things that I've seen a little bit of is your process. So over the last few years, we think really hard about the fall beer. And from my perspective, it's more about marketing but I think you and the brewers approach it a little bit different. So this year we've got Bunny Hug, that classic German style. We've got Homegrown Hazy IPA, which is totally its own thing. And then the ever popular Cat's Got the Cream. Yep. And part of me thinks, how did you winnow it down to this lineup? How did you take all those ideas and settle on these? So to speak specifically about Bunny Hug, I love uh, Oktoberfest style beers. So they're a little darker. Typically you drink them in the fall. They've got just such a complex uh, uh, malt profile to them. Um, it is a German style, so just high, high quality. I love that. And um, as much as I love that, the marketability of the whole German thing and uh, Dirndls and... Uh, and uh, Lederhosen. Lederhosen and the blue and uh, white checkerboard. 
is not very cool here. Um, so I've actually got artwork that we've never used. I had it done about four or five years ago. And uh, again, as, as strong as the German heritage here is, in Saskatchewan is, there's no, there's no strong German heritage around beer and around traditional German clothing and, and, uh, and art and all that stuff. So I, I kind of have struggled for years to figure out how do I make this beer that I love in a way that we can actually market it and sell it. And um, so, yeah, it was probably a few months ago I was, uh, I was landing on the idea of bunny hug because I try to think, what do people from Saskatchewan love? What's unique about Saskatchewan? Well, bunny hug is a pretty obvious one. And uh, I, again, in my head, I'm like, wow, it's so obvious that someone has obviously already made a bunny hug beer before. <laughs> well, turns out no one really had. <laughs> so, again, I started working on some more artwork and um, – I just, I, it was good artwork, but I didn't love the artwork and it's no insult to our designer, Brianna. The, the ideas I were give, I was giving her are actually, they're great ideas, but they're not bunny hug. Um, so that was my own fault saying, Hey, I want it done like this. Uh, so, so that's what I'm saying. I'm not throwing her under the bus. I gave her a stupid concept that I do want to use at some point again, somewhere down the line, but just not for this beer. Anyways, uh, I'm basically now telling the story of this beer, but, uh, it was literally like, I was literally frustrated again. And I'm like, I was like, Hey, I've hit a wall. I've got this great name, but I don't know how to design the label. And Wyatt from flat clothing just messaged me on Facebook and just said, Hey, have you ever thought about doing a bunny hug beer? And, uh, I don't know about you folks, but if you use social media and whatnot, and, uh, uh, you know, even if you literally like are thinking about something, it pops up in your, uh, Facebook feed. And I almost had that kind of feeling. I'm like, how does Wyatt know that I'm working on a bunny hug beer? Uh, but anyways, Wyatt from Flat Clothing asked, and he was like, Hey, I've got these bunny hugs and I've got these cool designs. And it was, he's like, I wonder if you'd ever be into making a beer. And I'm like, yes, that's, ex- you've literally solved my problem right now. Thank you very much. I really want to taste this one. You ready to give her? Yeah, let's get into it. Cheers. So to me, it's just got this like amazing German malt quality. And I, I, I've struggled for years, you know, even when I've taught um, beer classes and education and whatnot, or even judging beers, filling out score sheets as to how do you, how do you describe even maltiness, right? As opposed to, well, it's sweet or it's caramel. Um, but that's where you start getting notes of like bread crust, toastiness, that sort of stuff. It's just, it's, it's more ish. If that's, uh, sometimes I use that term today that I'm drinking it, this would be my fourth attempt at drinking this. And I don't know why, but to me, it's a little bit sweeter. Yeah. So sometimes it depends. And I, and I notice that too. And I think sometimes that just depends on your perception of what you've been eating or drinking that day. Um, but I certainly noticed that. And I noticed that about just beers in general. And so that's what, uh, is this one of those kind of phenomenons? I, I'm sure there's, I, I, I'd love to give you the scientific information on that. I've just never bothered to research it, but yeah, your perceptions of, of flavors cha- can change from day to day or, or, you know, hour to hour, depending on what you may be consumed earlier or later in the day type of a thing. I feel that I get a lot of toast and bread in the nose, and when I drink it, I almost is like raisins maybe, um, but not not that harsh or aggressive sweetness from a raisin. It's like very faint and uh, yeah. Chill. So so the beer, I mean the beer in terms of when we say it's balanced, it's definitely a malt focused beer. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call it sweet, but it's definitely it definitely skews to the sweeter maltier side, and that, that's how that style is supposed to be. 
Uh, some can be a little bit drier. Um, but at the end of the day, it's not a heavy beer. It's still a light, easy to drink beer. Um, but I guess, you know, and we'll, and, and it's not to discredit a beer like Cat's Got the Cream or, uh, say, an American uh, red ale or an Irish red ale. But they're going to be more of just like, here's sweetness, here's caramel. That's it. Um, this has, the, like I say, that extra toasty, bread crusty kind of thing. And you only get that from like that German malt and that German style of brewing. Um, it's just got that extra complexity and that uh, elegance is another word I like to use sometimes. I'm looking for that little extra oomph. Um, just to kind of go back to when I judge beer, um, there's lots of beers that technically meet all the descriptions of the flavor. Uh, but you're like, but it doesn't excite me. It doesn't have that extra wow. It doesn't have that extra complexity or polish or elegance. Um, and it's hard to describe. You have to drink a lot of beer to kind of pick that up. Maybe this beer definitely has that. I get the feeling, correct me if I'm wrong. Every year we do a German style beer near Oktoberfest. And the impression I get from you is it could be better. There's always something missing. You're always saying, well, this is good, but, and you're always pushing our guys to, to tweak something or. Uh. Yeah. We're continually tweaking this recipe. Um, I love the way it turned out this year, I would say. Um, is it the best so far? I think so. I think so. I think we really have that malt character dialed into what it should be. It smells like a German beer when I smell it. I can instantly, I'm just like, I, if you put that blind in a, in a lineup with other German Oktoberfests, it would not stick out like a sore thumb. It would, it would more than hold its own, uh, in my opinion. I'd get the feeling though, and I'm going to put you on the spot here. Yeah. I don't think you're a hundred percent on this beer yet. Well, so the missing factor, the missing factor, which, you know, I, I, it's no great lie. Cause we don't actually say that it's so, so typically these would be, uh, brewed with lager yeast. And, uh, again, I subtly, cause some, some folks have trashed us in the past for some of our beers saying, well, that's not a true lager. Um, I don't, I'm not, I haven't said that this is a lager by any stretch. It doesn't say that on the can either. Um, we're using ale yeast. We're using American ale yeast. It's a very clean, it's the best way I know to brew a lager, a clean, uh, crisp lager without using lager yeast. Will we ever use lager yeast? I would love to. I think about it all the time. So, uh. So the, a lager yeast, uh, to make a proper lo uh, lager beer with lager yeast, is going to take uh, probably minimum eight weeks in a tank. Um, using our American ale yeast, we're turning that beer over in five to seven days. Uh, we only have so many tanks. Time is money. I don't think people would be willing to pay four times the price <laughs> for this beer. So... Um, I don't know if you want to say it's a sacrifice. I don't, I don't think we're cutting corners. There's just no way to do it. And I'm not going to pretend and say that this is absolutely an authentic German lager because it is not. It's brewed with ale yeast. But you can still make a pretty darn tasty beer. And I'm, I am proud of it. Yes. The but very I, would, <laughs> it would make, I would just be over the moon if we could do it. Yes. The very first time I tasted it, I said, wow, this is amazing. I could drink liters of this thing. It is excellent yeah like i have no complaints about this beer i have no reservations recommending this to anyone i would bring this to thanksgiving supper yeah like i look forward to drinking just i mean i actually was just looking in my beer fridge this afternoon and uh, i was like man i gotta stock up on more of this because it's just all that i want to drink and so again i'm not trying to gloss over the the idea of the ale versus lager thing because it is a significant difference 
I would challenge again that most drinkers and consumers would not notice. Um, again, in a blind in a blind taste test. Again, if you were a, an experienced beer judge and really were dialed in, you'd, you'd pick it up. What if one year we did an ale version and a lager version and did them side by side? Do you think we could pick it up? Oh, I think I think it would be noticeable if you're doing it side by side. Then you would definitely notice. Not to go way off on a tangent, but uh, there's actually a new yeast coming out. We were talking about it today, and uh, the yeast is called Nova Lager. And um, so it is a true lager yeast, but it's a bit of a hybrid. It says it ferments faster, and you can ferment it at warmer temperatures. So we're just waiting to get in some of that to, to try out on our pilot system, and we'll see uh, see what we think of it. That might be a bit of a way to kind of get around some of those those challenges that we have. We love we I love lagers. I'd love to brew more of them. Um, but yeah, we're so there's always there's always new technology, new things to try. Is that thought process rooted in the same idea as the Kavik testing that we did? Kind of the yeah, speedy... yeah, um, yeah. It's exactly in that. So Kavik is, and they were trying to push Kavik as the new pseudo lager yeast. I was ultimately very disappointed in all of the ones we've tried. Again, we were actually just the brewers and I were just chatting this morning. If you go to the uh, the yeast manufacturers' websites, they are no longer saying to use those. Kavik for pseudo loggers. Now they're highlighting the fruity notes that are in these yeasts, um, which is exactly why I was disappointed because they just have all this weird, and in a weird way, in my opinion, um, you kind of get like a rotting garbage with notes of fruit. Um, and I just, this is not for me. And I, <laughs> you can debate it. I, there's some people that, you know, are just like, ah, this is the greatest yeast in the world. I think it's awful. And it certainly does not make a good lager. I wonder if it's like uh, mint or cilantro, where some people don't taste that rotting garbage character. They just get the fruit. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Because I've had other people say, wow, I love this Kavik beer. And I'm like, really? Like, it hurts me. Yeah. And it's not just, you know, I mean, I have some people like, well, maybe you weren't brewing it properly. Um, I've bought I bought every Kavik pseudo lager I could find um, that was brewed in Manitoba and Alberta over the last year. Um, and they were from some of my favorite breweries. They were not good. So, <laughs> so I'm pretty sure it wasn't just the way we did it. <laughs> they all sucked. <laughs> and, and, and I think what highlights it is that, uh, I was recently looking, no, you couldn't, nobody is making them anymore, which again, I think is very interesting. <laughs> kind of like brewed IPA. Another thing that just never should have happened. <laughs> I didn't really care for brewed IPA. No, another terrible idea. The final thought for Bunny Hug was we started marketing it. We started showing people, hey, scan the can, get 15% off on your next online clothing order, all that stuff. And Stephanie said sales were vertical for the next week. People just went ham. I, I didn't know how it would do. And I wanted to ask you, are you happy with what the results have been so far? Oh yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm thrilled so far. I mean, I personally love the can design. We're getting great feedback from all sorts of people, and um, you know, again, it's not uh, it's not to be that you know people are any anyone is superficial, but your you know your your first impression is the can. You can't taste it on the shelf, uh, so you're hoping that the the can artwork and design draws you in. And like I say, I was just I was very nervous. I, I I've been waiting for years. We've never actually canned uh, our German uh, Oktoberfest Fest beer style of beer. This is the first time we've ever done it because it was finally a design that I felt would be appealing. And so um, being able to partner with Wyatt and hearing some of that feedback already, 
uh, is very encouraging, and I, I hope it becomes a, a regular thing every year. The next beer we're going to talk about is, I think, my number one all-time favorite beer for 2022. Like, it's not even close. Homegrown IPA. Yeah, homegrown IPA. So this one definitely falls into the, it's a harvest-style ale. Uh, one of the first breweries that ever did it in a big way was Sierra Nevada, and they actually call it their Harvest Estate Ale. Um, they actually grow all their barley on site as well as all the hops. I've actually been in those fields, the barley fields and the hop fields, which was pretty cool. Um, and so we're doing the, we, well, we don't quite have a estate grown, uh, barley and hops. We've got Saskatchewan grown barley and hops. So yes, well, well, I wouldn't say that, uh, it necessarily, it, it certainly, it's more in the golden hazy IPA style of a beer. It's, uh, it's definitely time boxed to the fall. Cause that's when those things are harvested and this is your only, so we haven't necessarily said specifically, but it's a wet hopped, uh, beer and so you have you make wet hopped beers with fresh hops picked right off the vine um which is typically done in september so that's when you have that's your time to make that beer i love the solo crush wet hops that we've done in the past i think this eclipses them Mm -hmm. and i wanted to ask you what did we learn from those solo crushes to get to this point um i think one of the key things with wet hops is you do get a grassy character from them because they're so fresh. They've been unprocessed. You're getting the all of the hop character, and a lot of it is, frankly, vegetal matter. So you get that kind of grassy note that just comes with that. And, well, that isn't necessarily a turnoff. In a, our solo crushes were 4.5% alcohol, and there was a lot of those hops there. And so I think that kind of clashed a little bit, you know. And not that they were they were delicious beers, but it didn't necessarily get people just, you know, going absolutely bananas for them. We had some people that loved them, but not everyone loved it. Um, so in my head, and, and when you're also doing solo crushes, so those were single hops, so we would just use only, we would pick, we'd go and pick one hop and put it in a can as a solo crush. So just kind of, and, and though that's fine too, but uh, most hops on their own as a single hop are, they can be delicious, but they're not, they, they again, they kind of lack that complexity. And so, um, I, I always think it can be better to combine a couple of hops. Uh, don't combine 20 because then that's just a mess and muddled. Um, there, is a, there is a point of diminishing returns with combining hops, and they do need to work together. Um, so, yeah, so with, with the homegrown IPA, we actually picked hops. Uh, one week we picked Chinook, and the next, or pardon me, the first week was Centennial, and then the very following week, actually it was less than a week, it was maybe only four or five days later, we picks in the, the Chinooks. So we com- and then we brewed two separate batches and then blended them and put it in a can. So this way we're now getting a blend of Centennial and Chinook hops. And we also um, bumped it up to an IPA uh, strength, 6%. And by doing that, you're just giving it a bit more body and a bit more sweetness, um, which again, you know, just kind of softens out that grassy note. And uh, so I think it, it just gives it a better platform for these wet hops to sit on top of and to showcase them in the best way possible. When I drink it, when I have that first sip, the, the aroma just pow, gets you so fruity. And then you drink it and it's really, really juicy. And I struggle to describe it. It's like a stone fruit, mango, uh, papaya thing going on and I love it and then it's super soft 
I'm used to IPAs kind of being bitter and aggressive and punch you in the mouth. And then I know hazies are supposed to be softer, but even compared to our hazy beers in the past, I feel like this is unique unto itself. Yeah, it's softer than our hazy IPA. I've tasted them side by side. As And as much as I think our hazy IPA is quite soft compared to a lot of the other ones on the market, again, the big difference in that is that we do use whole leaf hops in, in all of our all, all of our hoppy beers, whereas most brews are using pellets. And pellets are, there's you know, you can make delicious beers with pellets, but uh, they do contribute a lot more polyphenols in the hazy type beers, which contributes to a bit of harshness and bitterness. That's um, what gives the harshness that I'm, like, not tasting is... Yeah, so you're missing all of that um, because there's way. I mean, there are polyphenols in in fresh hops and whole leaf hops, but just in a much smaller quantity. Um, by pulverizing them into that pellet, you're basically exposing the polyphenols to, uh, and so they end, more of them end up in the beer itself. Um, also, with the pellets and in a hazy IPA, there there it's an unfiltered, uncentrifuged beer. So if you're using pellets, pellets are so fine. You're literally just drinking hop pellets. And I don't know uh, if anyone's had the opportunity to chew on a hop pellet. Um, you will regret it for the next eight hours. <laughs> they are bitter and harsh and nasty. You do not. And so you're literally just drinking the pellets themselves. Um, again, that doesn't mean that I'm not trashing all hazy IPAs brewed with pellets, but I pick that up. That's where you get those things like hot burn and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. That's where that comes from. It comes from excessive amounts of pellet hops in a hazy IPA. I've been telling a friend, turn over the can, rotate it, swirl it very gently, and then pour it Mm -hmm. for the full character, full effect, and a nice even pour between like two glasses if you're sharing. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. That's I do that at home. I take one out of the fridge and I literally just turn it upside down instantly before I even grab a glass, then give it a gentle swirl. I usually pour about three quarters of it and then try and swirl it, give it a more aggressive swirl to make sure I'm agitating the yeast, pour the rest in. I'm going to be so sad when this one is gone. We we didn't make that much, did we? Yeah, we so we made two batches. That's it, right? That's that's so again, it's special. It only lasts for a very small amount of time and that's it. So enjoy it while you can. Um, but yeah, just in, in terms of it being again, so it's it's got that very soft pro t- profile. If you're expecting a punch in the face bitter West Coast style, you're going to be horribly disappointed. Um, but it's not a wimpy beer either. Uh, I did actually we did a, there was a walking tour with some urban planners. I think about 30 of them came by the brewery. And uh, we I, we poured them each a sample of that, and they're not beer aficionados. And I said, "Don't drink this if you don't like it." I, I'm not going to get offended. Uh, after they left, every glass was emptied, uh, and I so I took that as a as a great compliment. These are not beer drinkers, and they crushed their samples like it was no big deal. <laughs> I feel like this one is a great way to explain to people that IPA is not just a punch in the mouth. It can be I, so much more, you know. And it's been a you know it's. Um, you're, you're 100% right. In a lot of the other, uh, especially down in the U.S., um, hazy IPAs are huge. Um, they're big, you know, uh, massively, massively popular. It's still been a bit of a slow burn here um, because, again, there's still that, this, that old school thought that, oh, it's going to be bitter and gross and I'm not going to like it. Um, we've been trying to debunk that, uh, and we're trying to debunk it again here now. Um, but yeah, it's a very, very crowd pleasing type of a beer. Um, if you, if you've, uh, never tried an IPA before, or you think you don't like IPAs, I would really recommend giving this one a try. It is, it is fantastic. 
One of the other things we haven't talked about yet is the fact that it's 100% Saskatchewan grown, Saskatchewan malted barley and 100% Saskatchewan hops. Like this is as local as it gets for anything that's currently in the Saskatchewan market. Absolutely. Yeah. So the hops themselves are from JGL Shepherd Hops in Fleming, Saskatchewan. We haven't really talked about the barley a whole lot yet, but that's from uh, Maker's Malt in Rostern. Um, so, you know, we work with Justin and uh, and Matt on both of those. And um, the product is great. I mean, Matt's been working, been pumping out uh, great, great malted barley out of his malt house there. And... Um, and it was nice to be able to do. We've ne- we've never done a beer with a hundred percent of his product, and uh, this was the first time we did it. And so it was a lot of fun working with them. Um, I've known both of them for a long time. We've kind of been dreaming about how do we, you know, make make this a thing and get Saskatchewan excited about stuff. So um, yeah, it's that whole. You know, I, I'm not trying to gloss over it, but that's it's that whole idea of community and and celebrating local products and and all that kind of stuff. So it's a lot, it's a lot to be proud about. I like drawing the connections between urban and rural and showing people that we're all in this together. And it's, it's not some faceless mega corporation. We get to walk out in the fields, shake the farmer's hand. We know the guys who are malting on a first name basis. We can call them up on the phone or shoot them a text message. It's not some, random faceless sales rep or a, a corporate shareholder guy who's like, just give me my money and leaves. Like these guys legitimately are obsessed with quality. I love talking to Justin and he's teaching me about extra stuff about hops that I'd never heard before. Yeah. Anytime you actually get some one-on-one time with a farmer, um, I always say I'm, I'm way smarter afterwards, you know, I'm just like, thank you so much. I just have so much more appreciation. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a special thing. And, um, you know, I think, I think it's meaningful to the farmers too, right. To see their products be celebrated and acknowledged and hyped in, in Saskatchewan. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend to fully understand the agriculture industry, but for most farmers, they, they grow their, they grow the, uh, these, these inputs and, uh, they get shipped off t- overseas to other markets at, for pennies, frankly, um, there's try there we're trying to create a bigger movement around agri value doing more processing here consuming more of the products here um show me a better industry to do that with than beer because i i don't see it to be honest so let's get excited about this stuff we had a farmer in the tap room and he and i were talking about locally sourced barley and how it comes from bigger saskatchewan or roster in saskatchewan and i told him we get to turn it into gold medal beers we get to make your product we handle your product into and you've made it you've cared so much about this product you cared so much you, you babied it all the way through and we didn't just go and turn it into twinkies we went and won gold medals with it and you could see his face light up and his eyes kind of shine and he's like yeah gold medal <laughs> exactly like feel good about it um, and just, you know, to tie in that sense of community, I mean, I, I made a trip up to Saskatoon a few weeks ago and, uh, I saw Dave Klinger at lunch. He's with uh, Prairie Malt out of Bigger. And then, uh, right after lunch, maybe about an hour later, I ran into Matt Enns from Maker's Malt and, and I had some of the homegrown beer with me and I'm like, Matt, I got the beer. You got to try it. I had to run. I said, you tell, you know, enjoy. I got to run. But I mean, how much better does, does that get? I, I wasn't going up there expecting to see either of them that day. Um, yeah, 
that 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 just shows you that connection and that we're really we're uh, Saskatchewan is a pretty small place, <laughs> and, and that's a thing to be to to celebrate, right? If people recall, Dave Klinger is a past guest on the podcast. We've talked about barley. Matt Enns is also a past guest on the podcast, and you can go look up their respective episodes and find out more about what they're doing with barley. The last beer I wanted to jump into, Cat's Got the Cream. This this one is always a huge hit in the fall. I wanted to ask you, do you think it's going to do the same thing this year? I think so. I think so. We keep wondering if it's ever going to, um, people are going to get bored of it or sick of it, but they don't. Um, so thank you. <laughs> uh, I do think it's a pretty darn good beer. Uh, not that it's, you know, official or scientific or anything, but, uh, untapped is the biggest, uh, beer rating site in the world. Uh, or it's an app you can use on your phone. This is the highest rated spiced beer in Canada. Um, that feels pretty darn good. When I smell it, the aroma is completely different from bunny hug. Like you, you look at the color, you compare them fairly similar in color, but not even close in aroma and flavor. Yeah, I was, I, I've had the, you know, so when we, when we decided to put out bunny hug this year and even, you know, we're just looking at the, we, we have the glasses here just sitting on the desk right now while we're chatting. I am concerned about some overlap. So they both are more of a malt forward, um, amber, dark, dark orange, ready type of beer coming out in the fall. And I was a little worried that, and we've actually even seen some, we've seen questions, uh, from customers saying, is that the same beer? What's the difference? Um, if you have them side by side, they are completely, completely different beasts, completely different. So you can really highlight the differences in that the, the bunny hog, again, it's a German focused beer. It's on that, that elegance and nuance of the malt itself, that breadiness and toastiness that comes through. Cat's got the cream is what we would call, uh, well, it's got, it's got Mexican vanilla added to a kind of a caramel cream, cream based beer lovely in its own right you get more of that complexity and elegance from the the unique mexican vanilla we use it's almost got a bit of a baking spice note so people you know uh, typically say cinnamon or nutmeg allspice those types of things yeah allspice and vanilla as heck yeah yeah so much vanilla did we amp it up this year uh no, no, we, we left the dosage the same. We usually, when we brew the first batch every year, we usually just do a quick taste test on the dosage rate um, based on what we did the year previously. Um, but, you know, again, vanilla is an agricultural product, so it can change from year to year. The, the barley uh, that's in the beer can also change from year to year. So we just always want to do that check and say, yeah, is this, this is in the ballpark of where it was last year. Uh, does it feel good? Does it feel out of balance? So, so this is what we went with. I, uh, I'm really happy with this year's version. I've had a few pints, uh, out and about at restaurants and, um, yeah, it's just a fantastic, I mean, it just screams, uh, fall, fall flavors. Um, whatever you think of, I would, well, let's talk about pumpkin beers first. Cause actually my wife mentioned to me last night, she's like, there's no pumpkin beers anymore. And I was like, yeah, good. Like, um, <laughs> I fucking hate <laughs> pumpkin beers. Yeah. So just, and like, so my, my biggest, my biggest issue in my opinion with pumpkin beers is that pumpkin has no flavor. It's literally a, like, it's like a potato, right? It's starch. It doesn't taste like anything. So why are you adding it to a beer? You're just adding a bunch of unfermentable starch and haze and nastiness that can get contaminated and blow up your cans. So <laughs> I see no point to that. 
And then, you know, you're just adding, you know, and, 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 and I shouldn't say everyone's adding garbage spices or this or that, but um, you got to add good spice flavors if you're going to do something like that. So this is definitely in the realm of that. It doesn't have pumpkin specifically, and we're using a bit of a spiced uh, Mexican vanilla. Um, but I just, I like the way that this, this beer works way better than any pumpkin beer I've ever come across. Why, to me... Does it feel so much heavier than homegrown or bunny hug? Um, so that's that's done intentionally the way we, we brew that beer. Um, again, I would say this style, this if we were gonna actually try to give it a classic style in terms of the base beer itself, it would be like an Irish red or an American red ale. Um, those are gonna have a higher finishing gravity than uh, a German uh, the German style bunny hug. So most, most German beers are typically, they're meant to be drank in mass quantities. They really focus on that. Again, some, some beer geeks get mad at the term drinkability uh, as if to say uh, if, it, if, it isn't, if it doesn't have high drinkability, it's not drinkable whatsoever. But it's, to me, it's the concept that it's meant to be consumed in large volumes. And uh, it's not that you can't drink Cat's Got the Cream in large volumes, but with a, with a, when we talk about finishing gravity, that's, that's how much residual, typically residual sugar is left in the beer. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's sweeter. It just means that it's, it's the body of the beer, the mouthfeel. And this one uh, has a higher finishing gravity, and that's done intentionally for this style of beer. It feels like I could replace a slice of cake with a pint for dessert. Yeah. And be so happy. Exactly. I'm not going to tell you that this is um, a replacement for a pumpkin spice latte because it, it's not that heavy. It's not that sweet by any stretch. But it should it should remind you of that, right? It's got the vanilla. It's got the caramel. It's got the creaminess. It's got a more body than some beers. And yeah, it's it's a fantastic dessert beer. Um, I we were actually at a Greek restaurant, Philosophy in Saskatoon. On the weekend, we just had it with our appetizers and main course, and it was phenomenal. You know, that flavor profile is common even in, in Greek, in uh, in the entrees, right? Like moussaka and stuff like that. It's common to have a bit of cinnamon in the in the ground beef mixture and whatnot. So um, it, do, it it can work with a lot of different foods, but definitely it's, uh, I would definitely recommend it as a dessert beer. Yeah, but on its own, it's fine too. We get asked about this beer all year round. And I've explained to people, absence makes a heart grow fonder. And it's really, really great for fall and winter. And then it has to go by. Yeah, I mean, I mean, folks always get mad at us. And I'm not saying they're wrong. Um, but there's the whole psychology where people say, oh, yeah, I would totally buy it all year round. Right? If you did a survey. We did a survey. They'd say, yes, we'll buy it all year round. And then we would make it all year round and no one would buy it in spring and summer. And we say, well, but the survey says you would buy it. Um, humans are terrible at actually predicting their behaviors. <laughs> uh, anyways, that's just a, that's a whole other tangent. I'm sure there's lots of podcasts that can dive into that. Do you think we would ever do it full time if we got big enough? I have no interest in doing it. I think it's, I think I, I love the idea that it's time boxed. I love the idea, uh, again, I, that we don't call it a pumpkin beer. We don't call it a Christmas beer. We don't call it a Thanksgiving beer, but you know what? You can drink it at the beginning of fall. You can drink it at Christmas. You can drink it at Halloween. You can drink it at Thanksgiving. And it actually fits all of those themes perfectly. It does not fit sitting on a beach in July. It just I, doesn't. <laughs> I had a friend buy two flats last year and hoard them 
so he could have his cat's got the cream all year long. A couple months ago, he's like, I'm drinking my last one. When does it come back out? And I'm like, you still have to wait another month and a half. And he's like, oh, that's too long. But he's, it's his number one. It's his fave. Yeah, and we'd appreciate, I mean, there's always the hardcore folks that are like are really <laughs> bonkers. And we love that. I mean, it feels great that people are that obsessive about it. Um, but yeah, I think there's there's value in that. That I don't want to say scarcity, but just in that seasonality of it. It's, it's special and something to look forward to. Bunny hug, uh, I love it. And somebody already asked me, please do it again next year. I mean, if you ask me, I'm going to make it again next year. Yeah. Yeah. It's on my list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll let them know. Cause I told them I'd ask you for the podcast today to confirm. Yeah. I mean, unless, unless, uh, you know, we can't sell the la- the, the remaining beer in the next few months here. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm planning to make more of it next year for sure. And Steph said it was like flying off the shelves. Stores are reordering like a, a few days after they'd already brought it in. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think, you know, again, I mean, uh, I'm not the only one that decides what beers we make here, but, um, and we, we do have broad tastes here at Rebellion, but it's always a lot easier for anyone to sell a beer if they love it, if they already love it, you know? And, and I can, I can tell you that a lot of people, uh, a lot of the staff love Bunny Hug, um, including myself. So that there certainly sways our opinion on it. <laughs> I can't, you know, there's, 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 uh, yeah, everyone has their favorites. I mean, overwhelmingly, I, and I've mentioned it before, uh, I know we're not, uh, Zilla IPA absolutely destroys it in our tap room and a lot, it's, it's a lot, our staff and our, and our, and our, and our friends, um, for whatever reason, just there's, there's a ton of Zilla lovers there and not that we don't make a ton of other good beers, but yeah, like it outsells any other beer two to one in the tap room. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> why that is i love zilla too and it feels like that hardcore slice bought into it and digs it yep. the other the other thing i was thinking about these fall beers is each of them is vastly vastly different and so for a fall strategy i find that interesting you said okay we're gonna launch a lineup of beers to hit those cooler winter months and fall months and Here's three examples of something that's completely different from the other. Nothing's close. Yeah, again, uh, I think to your point, we don't make these beers any other time of year. Uh, and it's something to look forward to. Um, you know, and again, I think, I, I think again, in terms of selling beer and also in terms of what I personally want to drink, timing is everything. Uh, like I said, I don't, I don't, most people don't want to drink Cascot's cream in the middle of summer. They just don't. <laughs> But it comes out in September and people are like, yeah, that's exactly what I want right now. Thank you very much. Final thought. Where are your thoughts drifting now? Where does your mind drift in terms of the next six months for beer? For beer that we're putting out? Um, Well, so honestly, I'm already, I've started working on can designs for our spring and summer beers. So I'm already working on that, our spring and summer lineup. Um, we're already buying fruit for our fruit beers for spring and summer. We actually got, we've gotten a bunch of it delivered already. Um, again, that's, uh, you got to be way ahead of the game, even more so than ever, because uh, fruit is becoming so scarce and so expensive. So I wish I wasn't buying fruit right now because that's tying up a lot of our money, but that's just the way, the way things go. But, uh, in terms of stuff, maybe a little more timely. Um, yeah, I mean, we've still got a pile of winter beers to come out. Um, we try to shift again to 
quite dark beers, heavier, stronger, bigger alcohol beers. Um, again, that's the right beer for the when it gets really cold. That's what you want. You're indoors. You've got a sweater on. You want something a little hardier, a little thicker. Um, and you also run into uh, the holiday season in December where it is that festive celebratory thing. You want something a little special, uh, a little more exotic and full flavored and robust. And so, um, yeah, we've got, uh, I don't know how many, another four, five, six. We like, we like making lots of beers and I, and it, and I, I've told people as long as you keep buying them, we'll keep making them. You know, I, I, variety is the spice of life. Uh, we ultimately need to sell them or otherwise we just have a bunch of, uh, what do they call them? They call them shelf turds. <laughs> Cause I don't want those winter beers on the shelf again in next summer. That's a shelf turd. <laughs> Nobody's going to buy it. So again, you know, it's part art, part science as to how much to make and how many different beers to make, but, um, we're pretty jacked up. There's a lot of cool stuff coming down the pipe. Uh, there's, I'm trying to think of how many brand new ones I think want to say there's at least three if i want to say there's at least three brand new ones we've never made before that's deadly <laughs> yeah and that's all and we want all of those out you know by you know beginning of december because again we want you to be able to enjoy them over the christmas and then uh you know if you really enjoyed one you can still get some more for january and february and then again then it's just like clockwork now it's time to clean the slate and it's like hey let's go time for spring time to lighten things up again it's too early to think about spring for it's me. It's too, I know it is, but yeah, I have to be thinking about that. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if I have a real point, but I, I, that's, that's one of the things that I just love about beer is that seasonality. If you're a winemaker, you make your wine every fall with the grapes and then you just sit around and that's the only wine you have to drink for the whole year. It's kind of boring. It's kind of like, there's nothing else you can do. You're saying that beer is more exciting. Well, yeah, it's without question. That other, like, is this dull? Or if you make whiskey, well, you make whiskey. Okay, great. What's your spring whiskey? Well, the whiskey that we made whenever, you know, whenever we made the whiskey. It's the same damn whiskey. Seven years ago. <laughs> yeah, same whiskey we made seven years ago, whether it's spring or summer or fall or winter. Um, beers, I mean, honestly, I, I mean, and I'm serious. Like, I can't think of any other um, beverage that has that seasonality to it. It's amazing. So embrace it and enjoy it and live it up deadly thanks for your time today man yeah this was fun